kids, kindergarten through fifth grade, you can go ahead and make your way to the back. Your teachers are back there and would be happy to, to escort you to your classroom. Would you go ahead and take your Bible with me and turn to Titus chapter 3 this morning? Titus chapter 3, if you're unfamiliar where Titus is in your Bible, um, it's towards the end of your Bible. You'll see some letters, some small letters, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and then you'll see the letter of Titus. If you get to Philemon and Hebrews, then you've gone too far. Titus chapter 3, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, Larry is standing in the back at the ready to bring you one. Put your hand in the air. He's happy to bring you, you one. It's important that you see these words in front of you. I say that weekly, but I'm not just giving you lip service. I'm serious. It's important that you, you see these words in front of you this morning as those who uh, have received the truth of God's Word. In order that you might see that I'm not just making these things up, but they're present in the text. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read just a few verses this morning, beginning in Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through 7. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to Titus, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This text this morning represents the beginning of a six-week sermon series where we're going to walk through together our core values as a church. There are five of these values, and then on this sixth Sunday, we're going to take some time to engage with our vision and mission as a church. So there are five core values of Buffalo City Church. The five are stated like this. We're centered in the gospel. We're grounded in scripture. We're faithful in worship. We're authentic in fellowship. And we are radical in mission. So we're going to break off each one of those each week and then process through uh, mission and vision on our sixth Sunday together. And then guess what? We're in Advent, everyone. 2019 is almost, almost over. So you see these five things. I think they're on the screen behind me. Yes, they are. Five things on the screen behind me. I want to give you, before we dive in, just a handful of setup thoughts before we get into centered in the gospel in our text in particular. Because there is a flow and an interaction between these five things. They're not just five things that are stated but broken off from one another and, and segmented. There actually is an interaction, and this is important. It's vital for us for our, as a church to get this. So the first one is centered in the gospel. We want gospel-centeredness to be the primary thing that we are valuing as a congregation. It's first because it represents both the message and 
the substance of the local church. Two things, the message and the substance of the local church. And what I mean by that is that we seek to proclaim the good news of Jesus as those who desire to make disciples. When we get to that sixth week, we'll talk about our mission. Our mission is to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. But here we see that gospel-centeredness is the beginning, the starting point for that, the message and the substance of the local church. Everything that we do, therefore, as a church, Buffalo City Church, everything that we do as a church is informed by and empowered by the good news of the gospel. Without the gospel, you cannot have the local church, plain and simple. The local church is God's people set apart for God's purposes. And since the church is not a building, although most of you probably said we're going to church this morning, although this is not a building, Walking through the front door does not gain you access into the church. You must hear the gospel. You must respond to the gospel by trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and turning away from your sin, repentance and faith. And the gospel message is what we are given to take out into the world. So the substance of who we are, right? It's the means by which we gain access into the church. And then it's the message that we take out into the community. We call others to respond in repentance and faith as well. And so when the gospel is lost in the local church, the substance and the message of the church is lost. There's nothing to it. It becomes a country club or a social organization. And the gospel then releases us from this mindset. In a country club or a social organization, you have to pay dues and have particular credentials to gain access. But the church is very much the opposite. The church is very much the opposite. You gain access by trusting the one who paid the dues for you. Jesus Christ. And His credentials, His perfect life and sacrificial death are what get you in. So that's the first value, centered in the gospel. And that's where we're going to spend the most of our time. But before we get there, then the next four, grounded in Scripture. And this one exists to point us to where this understanding of God and what He's done for us in Christ and what He requires of us can be found. Without a firm grounding in Scripture, we as a church are unable to effectively understand that which we must value. The other three things then flow out of this understanding of the gospel as the message and the substance of the local church and Scripture as the authoritative means in the life of the believer. So faithful in worship flows out of that understanding. Authentic in fellowship flows out of that understanding. And radical in mission flows out of that understanding. So again, five things. Centered in the gospel. Grounded in scripture. Faithful in worship. Authentic in fellowship. And radical in mission. So you will note immediately, and maybe even are objecting to these five things, and think to yourself, there are several concepts that are very important in the life of the believer that I don't see here. Why? Why? 
You may say, well, where's prayer on this list? Where's unity? Where is discipleship? So I have two thoughts for you. First of all, if you're thinking that way, wonderful, good, thank you. That's good. I'm glad you're thinking that way. I hope I anticipated your objection properly. But I have two thoughts if you're thinking along those lines. First is this. This list of values is a tool. This list of values is a tool to promote unity and understanding and direction of Buffalo City Church. So if you look at these values and you think to yourself, I'm not sure about these. In fact, I'm not sure that I can care about these values at all. You are going to have a very tough time finding common ground here because these represent a lens through which our members and our leadership are looking at the world around us and looking at the ministry of Buffalo City Church. But if you're here this morning, you're thinking that, yeah, yeah, I, this is something that I am on board with. These are good. I'm in. Or at least... These look good, but I want to learn a little bit more. You're probably going to find a home here. So stated values are a tool. This is not meant to be exclusively. We could have been way more wordy with these things, but we're not. We're going to keep them simple. These aren't intended to be some sort of law, simply a tool to clarify our direction and our lens as a local church. The second thought I would have for you is that you don't, or the reason why you don't see notable and important concepts here, or some important, important and notable concepts here, uh, it would be uh, much wordier. But for the sake of clarity, this is simplified. Prayer is vital in our study of Scripture, and lives of worship, and the intimacy of fellowship and admission. Prayer is woven in and throughout all of these, all of these things. Unity is the goal of having stated values. Discipleship is spurring one another into a better understanding and expression of these values. And it's our mission. Again, we exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. So it's the question, so why preach through these? Why does this matter? Why couldn't we just hang them up on the wall and call it good? We're going to preach through them for a handful of reasons. First, The last time we spent any significant time with these was in January of 2016. And a few things have happened since then in the life of Buffalo City Church. Many of you have joined us since then. And so you you may know who we are and what we believe, but those ideas may be also foreign to you. Secondly, if you are familiar with these values because you've gone through, say, a membership class, or because you were with us in 2016, it's important to remember what we are about. It's important to remember what we are about as a church. Thirdly, again, I alluded to it, but things have changed for Buffalo City Church over even just the last year. We've grown spiritually as a congregation. I hope that that's you, that you feel like you've grown spiritually here. We've grown numerically. We've, we meet now in a different facility than we did one year ago. Things have happened. And we want to recognize that God still has us moving in a direction that's not changing, but we as a congregation need a sharpening here. We need to be sharpened in this understanding. All of us together, not just me, the pastor, not just our elders, everyone in our midst needs to be sharpened in our understanding of our 
direction. So the last thing that I would say, again, again has been alluded to, but this is to clarify who we are and what we believe and therefore allow for you as someone in the pews this morning to make honest personal assessments. Honest personal assessments. If you're new to Buffalo City Church and you look at these values and you're not on board with these, there may be a better place for you to go to church. I don't know how many times you've heard a pastor say that, but I'm saying that to you this morning. If you look at these things and you're like, no way, I'm out. Here's an off-ramp. You may need to rethink understanding of the local church. And if you're new to Buffalo City Church and you think these values look good, and again, if you want to explore them more, hang on. The next few weeks are going to be very helpful. Or if you're new to Buffalo City Church and you're convinced these values line up with what you see in Scripture and your understanding of the local church, then now is the time to get connected at a deeper level. Discipleship or community group or Bible study. Or if you've been here for a while and these stated values are something, again, that you're on board with, a deeper commitment might look like membership. Or if you've been at Buffalo City Church for a while and you think these values are yours, but it doesn't result in any further participation or growth in your life spiritually, these probably aren't things that you truly value. Now, I didn't give you a laundry, I didn't give you all of the possibilities, but what I, why I give you these examples is because I want this to be a time where we together as a congregation and you personally make some honest assessments about Buffalo City Church and about what you value and if those values line up with our stated values as well. Now, the danger in me saying that is that you look at that and say, well, I'm here to consume and therefore these things must line up in order for me to participate in the life of the church. The fact of the matter is that if you are here as a follower of Jesus, you are called first and foremost as one who finds his or her identity in Jesus to serve. Not to be served, but to take our cues from Jesus himself who said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that is the lens through which we're looking at these things. Values help us decipher some of those things personally in our in our own hearts and clarify them in our own minds. I'm going to suggest to you that making assessments like this require time and attention and understanding of these values. So the next few weeks will be beneficial to you if you spend time reflecting on them personally, and I would highly encourage you to do this also in a community group setting. I would encourage you to prioritize that meeting, that weekly meeting place, in order to begin to process through some of these things if you have not or if you've neglected to think about them over the course of the last three and a half years. I want to point out to you also this morning, you always see these in the back, on the table back there, and we rarely reference them, but there's a community group discussion guide in the back. These are designed for people who are ready to and active in community. These aren't just sermon notes. These are designed for discussion in community groups. So you're always free to pick one up, but 
But the goal for these is to push you into community in order that you might be regularly discussing the truths that we talk about here on Sunday morning in the midst of community. And we'll get to that more when we get to our core value, faithful or uh, uh, authentic in fellowship. But if you picked one up this morning, you noticed that there was a new section on here and it says, before you meet. There are just a handful of questions here or thoughts for you to process through before you get together. Sometimes we say that we're authentic in fellowship and then we get together and we all stare at each other in a circle during discussion time. We don't want to do that. We want to come together prepared in our hearts and minds to engage in a community group setting. Again, I hope that that operates as a catalyst for you in that space, that you can really begin to, again, make honest personal assessments and think about Buffalo City Church as your church home, what we value as a congregation. So that's all set up this morning. And what I want to do now is dive into this text and just unpack a handful of things for us from this text, asking two questions. Just two questions this morning. The first question is this, what is the gospel? If we're going to say that we're centered in the gospel, we first of all have to have a depth of understanding about what we mean by the gospel. The gospel is not just this ethereal thought that exists out in the world, but it's defined very clearly by Scripture in many texts, including Titus 3, 3 through 7. So let's look at what Paul writes here. Look in your Bible with me. Titus 3, 3 through 7. We read it just a moment ago. The gospel, the word gospel literally means good news. It literally means good news. But unfortunately, it's not enough to answer the question, what is the gospel with just a translation of the word? And so we need to unpack what's actually good about this good news. And we see it clearly here in this text. Look at verse 3. That's our starting point. Paul writes, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Look at that verse. That is not good news. <laughs> that is not good news. In fact, that kind of makes me a little bit angry that you'd say that about me. But this is our starting point for the good news of the gospel. The starting point that Paul gives us here is sin. In ourselves, we are foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to passions and pleasures, full of malice and envy, both hated and full of hate. Now, we are sinful. Again, not good news. It is news to some of you this morning. But it is not the good news. The news that is really important if we're going to get, a, get to the good part of the gospel, we have to un understand this. We have to begin to recognize it. So in order to understand this, we have to understand that God has a perfect standard set up for us. This standard is set by Him, and rightfully so. He created everything, and therefore everything belongs to Him. Nothing exists that God did not create. Nothing. And he specifically created us, man and woman, in his image. He created us to reflect him to all of creation. And in order to please God, in order to meet this standard, we must reflect God 
in the way that He intended. When we fail to reflect Him as He intended, that is our definition of sin. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden by acting out of accord with God. They took the place of God and set themselves in that place and sin entered the world. Sin is taking God out and replacing self in that place. So Paul lists in verse 3, this list that he gives for us is designed to say to us that sin is our problem. You act foolishly according to the ideas of, of what you think is best, not God's. You act disobediently, conforming to your own standard and ignoring God's. You are led, by, led astray by sin, by Satan, and by the world, acting on impulses instead of acting on God's truth. You're enslaved to the passions and pleasures of self-interest, elevating material gain and sex and entertainment and work and power and control over God. You compare yourself to others, seeing what they have, which you think will make you happy or fulfilled, and you despise them for it. Your sin makes you unlovely and unable to love. This is the plague that each one of us is born into, and each one of us cannot find a cure for. Our perfect Creator God holy and righteous, infinitely wise, made us to reflect Him, and all we can think about is self. That, friends, is sin. That's the portrait of sin. That's the picture of sin that Paul gives us in Titus chapter 3. God's perfect standard for you to reflect Him. You and I, you and I have missed the mark by miles. God is our Creator. He created us to reflect Him and we fail to do so because of our sin nature. And since our sin and our nature is sinful, we actively choose sin day after day. What is the way that we reflect God most clearly? We see it in His Word. It's to obey His commands. But the problem is, we can't do it. None of us is able. Because we were born into sin. And because our nature is sinful, we sin and elevate self above God and therefore our God's enemies. You and I are totally responsible for all of our decisions that we make to carry out all of the heinous things that Paul lists in verse 3. And we're totally incapable of changing. The plague eats away at us. Now to be clear... This message is tough to swallow. And since in our sin nature, this is the sinfulness of sin, sin, our sin nature actually takes the things that we do in violation of God's standard and tries to downplay them and make them less, less offensive to God. So then in that moment then, what we do is we start to confuse sin with sin's effect. So we begin to say things like in our culture, which happens to be a very popular understanding of sin, that we, our sin is actually lack of purpose or negative thinking. The problem with that is that we're not victims. 
We are not victims. Our sin makes an act, us an active criminal who has broken God's law by intentionally putting self in God's proper place. Your sin makes you guilty and worthy of condemnation, death, and eternal punishment. John MacArthur says it like this. He says, anything that moves the sinner from being a culprit to a victim moves him away from the gospel. One of the effects of sin that we often confuse for sin is just broken relationship with God. But that brokenness is not the definition of sin. Sin is what breaks the relationship. Sin is the the thing by which the relationship is broken. Sin is active treason against the king of the universe. The one, and it is an attempt to take his throne, to usurp his place, to put ourselves onto it. The king doesn't stand for treason. The relationship is broken as a result of treason. Here's the final one I'll mention, where we confuse the idea of sin with sin. <laughs> what does that mean? It means that your nature is sinful. Again, we said it just a moment ago, that you are born into it. You don't just sin. You don't just do the bad thing. Sin is in you. You are of sin. It's not just a little dirt that you get on your hands when you tell a little lie or get mad in traffic. Sin defines you. And we are accountable to God, our Creator, because we have chosen self over Him. We have committed treason. We have broken the law. Sin is all that we are inclined towards. And so God's judgment and wrath are set against us in a very real way. Now, if you're thinking that's terrible, what are you talking about? How dare you say that about me? Good. That is terrible news. It's absolutely the worst news that you could possibly receive this morning. I hope that you see that. But since we're talking about the gospel, the good news, we're not talking about terrible news. We're talking about good news. Paul turns us away in verse 3. Look at verse 4. Verse 3 without verse 4 would be debilitating. Verses 4, 5, 6, and 7 give us life. Look at verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior refers directly to Jesus Christ. He is the goodness and the loving kindness of God that took on flesh, manifested among us. God is our Savior. He is the one who saves us in Him alone. And we ask, what do we need saving from? Verse 5 says, He saved us. What do we need saving from? Everything that we saw in verse 3, this nature that is sinful, and the sin that we actively choose, our rebellion, our treason, our active hatred of God, and ultimately our failure to reflect God. So Jesus appears, born as a man, fully God, fully man. He lives a perfect life of obedience, honoring God, His Father fully, with no deceit in Him. Nothing that 
exists in this list in verse 3 existed in Jesus Christ. Jesus is not sinful. He did not sin. Verse 5, He saved us. How does He do that? First, Paul tells us how He didn't do it. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Not by works done by us in righteousness. God doesn't save us through Jesus because of our own performance. He doesn't look down and say, I'm going to send Jesus to save those really nice people doing really nice things. They really deserve it. You aren't saved because you seem like a really nice person and you deserve saving. The good stuff you, can't, you do can't strong arm God into sending Jesus to save you. And then we ask, well, what is it then, Paul? What is it? According to his own righteousness. Or according to his own mercy. According to his own mercy. It's God's own mercy and grace. God's own character becomes the the impetus for his saving work. Becomes the motivation behind why he sends Jesus into the world to die in our place. God is merciful and gracious and so he sent Jesus to save sinners sinful people like you and me and so God is the author of salvation God is the author of salvation we are saved from our sin and the wrath of God that is sent against that sin and how does this happen in our sin and our rebellion we deserve death and eternal punishment But Jesus Christ, the righteous Son of God, came to earth and lived a life that we could not. And then on the cross, He died the death that we deserved to pardon us. And then He gives us the righteousness that is required. So verse 5 says it. If we trust Jesus, we'll be saved. We will be washed clean of our sin. He says the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes through Jesus Christ, he tells us in verse 6, so that we may be sealed with all of the benefits that belong to Jesus and that they now belong to us. Look at verse 7. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Our inheritance now is life. Instead of an inheritance of eternity as the object of God's wrath, Eternal life becomes our inheritance. So what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news, and here are the essentials. God is the creator. He created everyone and everything, and everyone and everything is accountable to Him. We are sinful. Through Adam, we are born into sin, and then we actively rebel against God. And then, God sent Jesus the Savior. He lived a life of perfect obedience and took our place in death, which He defeated through His resurrection. And then fourth, essential element, our response. The free gift is offered to us. It's offered to you this morning. And we are called to turn from our sin and to believe to repent, and to trust 
Jesus. This is the Gospel, and it's our only hope. If this message is true, if this message, if what we just talked about is true, and it is, absolutely, then what would prevent us from making it 100% undeniably the center of all that we are? If you are under the wrath of God because of your sin and sinfulness, and God, through His mercy and kindness, sent Jesus Christ as a substitute to take your place so that you might not spend an eternity separated from God, but an eternity in His presence, why would we not make that the center of everything that we do and say? A Buffalo City Church, let's be a church that everyone looks at from the outside and says, won't they shut up about the gospel? Like, how could this be not exactly what we want to stand at the center of who we are? Why is this even a question? Why do we even have to say it? We're going to say it, but why is it even a question? We make so many things the center of our lives. Sports, music, entertainment, travel, money, work, friends, family, everything. We think about these things and we labor over them and we obsess over them. But just like we saw after our 18 weeks in the book of Ecclesiastes, they have no ability to address our biggest need. The reality that we are at odds with the Creator and that we failed to reflect Him and now have come under His wrath. But, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, but being God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not, a do, uh, not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. In Christ, by trusting Him to cleanse you of your sin and to make you right with God, you have eternal life and not eternal punishment. It might seem a bit silly, again, that we need to state this, but because the only way, there's no other way to get to God except through Jesus Christ. And because the only way that we wouldn't be gospel-centered if we didn't really believe the gospel, But let's ask the second question anyway. What does it mean to be gospel-centered? What does it mean to be gospel-centered as a church? You know what someone looks like when they're self-centered. And it's pretty easy to identify that in other people, but sometimes it's very hard to identify it in ourselves. You know what it looks like when someone is self-centered they oftentimes are exclusively thinking about themselves. They might talk about themselves too much. I want to say that that's the portrait of what it means to be gospel-centered. The portrait of what it means to be gospel-centered just replace self with gospel. Why do we want to describe ourselves as gospel-centered as a church? Because we all need to hear the truth of the gospel and apply it all the time. We all need to recognize our 
that despite our rebellion against God, he sacrificed his son in our place so that we could be forgiven. And that means, friends, that we can freely forgive. We all need to recognize that we were God's enemies because of our sin. And the gospel makes us his friends, his sons and daughters. The gap between you and everyone else in this room is much smaller than the gap was between you and God before Jesus. And it gives us the strength to bite our tongue when we're tempted to gossip or treat someone with disrespect or to dishonor them. And we need to recognize that despite our sin, which made us unlovable, God set His love upon us. And therefore, we can sacrificially and freely love with no thought of return or benefit, with no thought of how tired or busy we are. We all need to recognize that God, through Jesus, removes our guilt and condemnation. And that that should never be our proper motivation for us or for anyone else, but rather the excellencies of God demonstrated in the Gospel. And we need to recognize that our performance didn't save us, but God's mercy and kindness and goodness and grace poured out on us. Therefore, don't base our relationships with others on what they've done for us, but on the understanding of what God has done for them in Jesus Christ. Self-centeredness holds a grudge. Gospel-centeredness forgives freely. Self-centeredness talks and thinks about others and their faults. Gospel-centeredness recognizes and quickly applies mercy and grace and kindness in the face of human fault. Self-centeredness makes excuses like busyness and laziness and tiredness and fear, makes excuses to loving others. Gospel-centeredness loves with no thought of self or personal gain. Self-centeredness manipulates others through guilt. Gospel-centeredness focuses on responding rightly to God's loving kindness shown in the Gospel. Self-centeredness demands particular performance standards from others and lords it over them. Gospel-centeredness understands that performance doesn't save us or others. In effect, this is why we value gospel-centeredness. Everything that we say and do should be informed by the gospel. As individuals, as a church, within these walls, outside of these walls, our work, our relationships, our families, our driving, our cooking, our church attendance, our sleeping, our eating, everything. Forgiveness, mercy, grace, kindness, love, these are characteristics of the God we serve and the characteristics of those who follow Him are called to reflect. And not just called to reflect, but empowered to reflect. We value gospel-centeredness because we quickly forget. It's been said, we've said this before, if you don't keep the gospel at the center, we begin to assume the gospel, and then we ultimately lose it. We begin to deny it or forget it. 
But again, the message of the gospel is the way in which sinners are saved from eternal condemnation. Paul writes in Romans 10, 14, how then will they call on him whom they have never or have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The implication here is the preaching of the gospel, the call of the gospel, the response that is required by the gospel, repentance and faith. And then Paul would go on in verse 17 in Romans chapter 10 to say, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We value gospel centeredness because we quickly forget. The last thing I'll say is we value the gospel and gospel centeredness because we said at the outset, it is both the message and the substance of the church. Ray Ortland says it like this, the test of a gospel-centered church is its doctrine on paper plus its culture in practice. Our doctrine begins with and flows from the truth of the gospel and our culture must then follow living lives that are affected by the truths that we see contained in it. The message of how God saves sinners is always being proclaimed. It's always on our lips. And it's always evident in our lives. In a culture that matches that proclamation through freely forgiving, loving sacrificially, rejecting gossip, encouraging one another, building one another up, loving one another. This is a culture that is dripping with the grace we find in the gospel. So, as we conclude this morning, consider with me two things, just two thoughts. Two thoughts. Have you believed the gospel? Have you believed that you are a sinner and accountable to God, your Creator? If the answer is no, you have heard it and you stand at a crossroads. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, came to earth to live a perfect life and die the death that you deserved so that you might spend eternity with God, your Creator in heaven. The call to you to respond in repentance and faith. Repent of your rebellion against God. Trust Jesus is the only one who can grant you the forgiveness of sin. Because He died the death that you deserved, absorbing the wrath of God on your behalf, right where you sit this morning, ask that God would forgive you through Jesus Christ. If you have not believed the Gospel, now is the time. There is not a moment coming in the future that is better than right now. God will save you through Jesus Christ and offer you forgiveness of sins without question. Friends, I'm concerned that one of the biggest dangers we face in our culture here in North Dakota, one of the biggest dangers that we face is not rampant atheism or anti-Christian rhetoric, but rather the internal denial that goes on and just says, I'm fine. I'm good. I don't really need anything. I'm a pretty good person. Things are fine. God and I, we're okay. We're okay. The message of the Bible is very different. You are not okay. 
And it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. You're not fine. That's what God, what you need to realize. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit shows you how not fine you are. You're in desperate need of Jesus. Without Him, the wrath of God is set out against you. With Him, not a drop of God's wrath will fall on you. No matter what internal dialogue is going on this morning, you're not fine, but Jesus can change that. And if the answer to the question, have you believed the gospel, is yes, the next step is to ask if you're living like you believe the gospel. It's not a performative statement, but a transformative one. Paul says right here that you've been regenerated and renewed by the gospel through the Holy Spirit. It's not just behavior modification. We don't become Christians and then just try a little bit harder to get it right. It's new life in Christ. The gospel is our message and it's our substance. It's our culture, forgiveness, mercy, and love. Are we quick to see God's forgiveness, mercy, and love on our behalf and then show these things to others? That's living like you believe the gospel. So as we draw to a close this morning, let's consider that the gospel is our only message. It is our only substance as a church that will empower our worship, our fellowship, and our mission. This is the first of our core values. Let's pray that we be a church that is centered on this truth. Let's pray.